Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, people, you know that sound is the Unfiltered Band. It is episode number 62. As uh, I've got my dude. Uh, my longtime friend, former teammate, Jim Duquette, here with me for episode 62. Unfiltered band, always here. We appreciate them. You can jump on the Unfiltered Revolution at Casey Stern. If you're on Twitter, get in the bio and uh, jump on the YouTube channel and, and like all the you know comments and, and everything else. And if you don't like it, then leave. Um, Duke. <laughs> first, leave, get out. Just, just get out. It's just that simple. Um, first of all, First Sunday out of the way, prospects for your Ravens, because I know like where your allegiances lie when you're not working, like you feel good. Yeah, I was feeling good for sure. I mean, it was interesting. I was in New York and I'm around a bunch of Jets fans and they're all they're all optimistic and in game one. And I'm going, I don't know what you guys are watching. I know this is not going to be much of a game. I'll give you guys two touchdowns. And they're like, no way. I'll take five points. I'll take the points. And I'm like, all right, here you go. Five points. I'm offering you 14. I still won. <laughs> by one. They won by 15, right? Was it 24 9? I did one by 15. Yeah. Yeah. Took took Lamar a little time to get uh get warmed up, but once he got to the you know, right towards the end of the second quarter, um, yeah, it was basically over from that point oh. on. And, and come on, Joe Flacco. There was, was the Ravens, you know, scraps five years ago. Yeah, the revenge game with Joe Flacco. And by the way, if uh, if Lamar Jackson had uh, the Braves as his team, they would have already signed him for one tenth of the money that he's actually worth. So, <laughs> unfortunately, didn't work out that way for you. Um, I, I want to talk a bunch of Mets stuff, but I, I got to start here because I love telling stories with with guests. And I was saying this in a, in a tweet that I sent you a couple of weeks ago. So, and I'm glad everyone's okay. So, you know, I'm not joking at the expense of it. It's a good yeah. restaurant, but PJ Clark's, which is. Um, it's like 52nd and 7th, somewhere around that area in Manhattan, yeah. right? Somewhere around there. There's one downtown, um, too, by, oh, is by there? the World Trade. Yeah, in the Brookfield area, um, oh, right in Battery Park. Yeah, so there's a oh, second one, that. but that's more recent. Yeah, that's more recent. Okay, that's, I think that's since I left. Because So they had a fire, and everybody's okay, so that's, that's you know why I can tell the story. But th- when I saw the tweet about it, the first thing that I thought of, and I texted Duke, was our, our dinner, like our sit down, like uh, like a mob sit down. So tell me at any point that I'm, I'm overdoing this story because I, you know, I, I could do that sometimes. So you and I were you had just joined MLB.com. We were about to start working together and we worked together in two different places. But this is what when did you get there? Like 2007? It's like two, it seven. Yeah. Oh, seven. Yeah. OK, yep. so. End so of seven. Yeah, OK, end of a set. We were going to be working together and I said to you. <laughs> Again, stop me at any point. This story is not true. I said to you that yeah. I wanted to, to sit down and, and we you know, have dinner and you know, catch up and kind of get to know each other a bit. And when you sat down at the dinner, I informed you that this dinner was to basically air out all of the grievances I had against you during your employment as a Met so that afterwards we Correct. can work together successfully. Is that fair? 
That is uh, fair, and uh, I believe that is 99.9% accurate, yes. Yeah. The, the two things I remember from that <laughs> and then, were – yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you do it, and I got, I got, I got one thing I want to share, but you tell me okay. the two things you okay. remember first. So here's what I, I remember. I remember going through the, I remember going through the, the trades and some of that stuff. And then I remember yes. telling you, which, which I, I afterwards, I admittedly, and it was like a Seinfeld Keith Hernandez thing. I was like in my head, maybe I shouldn't have told him this story. Cause you know, look, I, I enjoy, you know, this I enjoy, and I don't, I don't know that it's right, but in this industry, I, I believe letting people know, that I'm a diehard fan makes me, yeah. you know, resonate you know, better as a talk show host doing radio for years. Right. So right. I never hit any of that, but at the same time, it's like, I want to be a professional. I don't want to be looked at like I'm somebody from Mets Twitter, no offense right. to Mets Twitter, which we'll get to later. But I told Duke the story, which is a true one about how I lost the television after Kenny Rogers walked Andrew Jones. And then he and I got into discussion about why Octavia Dotel, who had pitched, a bunch, maybe three innings in the extra inning game, right? That Ventura hit the right. Did he pitch two or three? Yeah. He pitched a bunch, I think. In that, uh, I think that he, it was at least two. Game, yeah. Right. Pitched, yeah. Yep. But there was a day in off in between, five. I believe. Yep. Right. So it's Sunday and a, yeah, Sunday and a yeah. Tuesday, I think, if I remember, it's just how my sickness, if I remember correctly. Um, and I lost the television because I, I, I threw it and it didn't, it didn't succeed. It didn't, it, it was like a test run that, that, you know, I won't do again. But I was very upset because Dotel was not in the game. And you and I went through this from vantage points of a fan in his living room and you being up there in the box. Is that how you remember this dinner? That's exactly how I remember it. And I remember uh, even, I think I shared with you um, the angst that Bobby Valentine felt after that game because he wanted to go to Octavio Dotel, but he felt like it might be a little too much in that moment for the rookie. So he went with the veteran guy, Kenny Rogers, thinking that, okay, the veteran can handle the situation better than the rookie when, in fact, we kind of all knew that that was not going to be the case at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And it and didn't work out that way. Yes. No, not, not well. And probably thinking Kenny could throw strikes in that spot, right? So, like, if anything, maybe right. Dotel would lose control or whatever. But he had just pitched great the two games before that, which didn't make any sense to me. It's not the level of, uh, and we love Buck, but it's not the level of Britain in the bullpen. It's not, you know, Scott Williamson in the no. bullpen when Pedro was out there with Grady Little. But it, if right. you're a Met, you know, psychosis guy. Now, now, was there something else that you were going to tell me that you remembered? Because I probably don't remember so, how stupid I was during that conversation. So you want to remind me? <laughs> well, so we had an occasional alcoholic beverage or two. Yes. Um, and yes. And we started going down the obscure Mets trivia, uh, Patrick Howell, Jorge Valandia, Morrow, Gauzo, Mickey Weston. Uh, we just started naming guys yes. to see who could. It was almost yes. like a, a round of knockout. Yes. To see yes. Who, who, yes. who could give. And I think you actually beat me. And that was right during the, during the middle. Like I threw up Todd Haney. Yes, like, like some really obscure yeah. guys for the Mets, and and I think you might have beat me on that one. Yeah, well, I, I gave you enough Eric Valence and Anderson Hernandez's and uh, you know Ty yes. Wigginton's to get, but you know it's funny because I wrote down so I, I rarely and you can't see because you know that's why you don't use white. Yes. Um, right. But so I hide all my great notes. I don't have many of things like I just wanted to ask you, but like when I put down like telling stories, and this is I. Yes.
And we're back. Now you can hear me okay? Okay, there we go. So for those of you who think that there was buffering, um, you know, it's unfiltered. We don't edit. You just stare at us, be like a pointing, and it's like you figure it out. You can put bubbles at the bottom of the screen. All right, so I, I had, this is why I shouldn't grab notes. So I had the two notes. I had you at, at PJ Clark's Dotel, and the second thing I wrote were napkin yes. random Mets because of how many times we would be at places. I remember, and it may have been in Manhattan, but we would get back from ballparks when we, you know, I, people who work in this business know this, you know, people leave the stadium and you think you have traffic. By the time that we get back, it's like even in New York, every bar is closed and you just want a nightcap. You had a long day. And I remember specifically we we're at the bar where the owner was like, we'll leave it open a little bit longer. It was like 315 in the morning. And this is what you and I were doing, like going through even putting on napkins like the like, you know, a, a lot of our all blank teams and and my favorite would would always be yeah. like the all like Mets I wanted to run into in an alley team or the ones I can't stand so it basically be yes. like Mondo Benitez like over and over again um so we've been through all that right, right. that being said your pulse of being when you walk around outside the studio when you're getting calls on on Power Alley has has Mets Twitter and Mets fandom disappointed you in some way that you thought that they had grown up, you thought maybe they were past what you experienced for so many years, and then the last few weeks it's come back. I have actually been disappointed in them in some way. I don't know why I expected more. Am I alone in that, or you too? Well, I am in in the sense that um, you know this is a team that first off we just going to old timers day um, a couple of weeks ago when I was there catching up with so many guys but just the atmosphere around the team and talking to some of the employees that are still there some that i had hired some that were there when i was there and they're still there today and the talk, them talking about the difference in the organization now that there's a new ownership like you this is just like year one of something that i think is going to be special like you look at what the dodgers have done now 10 straight years of being in the postseason like that's the standard that i think the mets are trying to get to and i think that's not a stretch to think that they maybe not 10 in a row, but it's you, you can have a good run of postseason um, appearances uh, with this new ownership group. And so I feel like that, like, that, you know, in any year one, this is a pretty darn good start. And they're still on a pace to win 98 games, whether they win the division or not, 98, 100 games, whatever. It's, it's an incredible season. And they have overcome so many different obstacles and different um, things along the way that. I expected there to be more embracing the good part of this because it's been a lot of a lot of good things that have gone on this year. And if you can't enjoy a 98-win team, I don't know when, what type of season are you going to enjoy. That's the thing that kind of surprises me a little bit in that kind of kind of going down that pathway. I go back to this, and you and I worked together in 2015, and we were there at the end at every game where they had good things happen and also not so good. Um, I, I go back to this. Nobody enjoyed anything in that season the whole time, every Met fan, because they were 500 and terrible, putting Soup Campbell and, and John Mayberry Jr. Then when they got good, there was like a couple of moments against the Nationals that even the Met fans allowed themselves to enjoy. But by then it was, okay, we're not going to be good enough. And in every series, they weren't going to win. And then it was it was like they were waiting for TC to like leave Harvey in too long or Familia to be in a six-run inning he shouldn't right. be in and Alex Gordon and all of that other kind of stuff. And it's like they didn't soak anything up. To me, and I talked about this this morning, and I go back to football for a second. I'm a Giant fan, as you know. And, and Brian Dable, look, that going for two – 
like you want to talk about day balls wow. yeah. like that for that kind of a move. Like, yes. you know, this as a fan, you're like, forget about the players well, a lot higher, but as a fan, you're like, okay, I can buy into this. Like they were probably going to go six and 11 this year. I don't think they're good, right. but your point on the jets, it's like the jets don't give you any of those feelings ever. The giants were good for so long and then we've been bad since 2016, but the culture change, right? Yeah. How much from what you see, is really comes down to the culture change of the people in the room, Buck, Max, all the way down to Canna, Escobar. And in all the years that as a GM and doing player development, how much is that kind of what you preach in that fraternity to try and do to change the people as much as you change the talent in the room? I think that's even more difficult is to change the culture because the culture is long lasting. Um, you know, you can win in any particular year. You can play, you know, the checkbook baseball. You can throw money at guys and you can build that, you know, but then at some point there's an expiration date. And I think the more difficult thing, especially in some, in what I appreciate with the Dodgers um, and even, you know, the dreaded Yankees along the way is like it is hard to maintain that winning environment year after year after year after year. And I think that's what the, the Mets are aspiring to do also. And I think, I think it's, something that they can re, uh, reach you know it, like it wouldn't su surprise me if you take the next 10 year period including this year and eight out of the 10 years they get to the postseason and they win at least one world series like that to me is exciting and and but but it's because of the culture because you're building a you know a, a place where like max scherzer last year at the trade deadline supposedly had a no trade clause and did not want to come to the Mets. And all of a sudden he's wearing a Mets uniform for the next three seasons. Like that's a culture change. Right. And I think you find that like people for whatever reason, sometimes say, I don't want to go to New York, even if you pay me the most money. Well, now the feeling is, well, you know, even Jacob deGrom, when he opted out, there's a lot of rumors. Oh, well, maybe he doesn't want to be back. Well, now you're starting to hear that, that he does want to be back. Like, because he's seen what's going on with what Buck has built what the organizations built, what the Cohen's have built. So, so I think to me, that is probably um, more important because it's long lasting, it, the culture part of it. So, and it's harder, it's harder to achieve, but, but I think with this kind of core group that you have, you, you mentioned some really key kind of glue guys in Canna and Scherzer, um, you know, Marte has, has you know, Escobar, Escobar too. Sure. but Alonzo, yeah, Escobar, Alonzo, um, you know, Lindor, now that he's settled in in the second year, you know, even McCann and, and Nito, who haven't performed <laughs> recently, you know, I think it's it's a huge turnaround just in that alone. You know, I end I, up with you, and I think about just the alternative of that when you sign. Mike Trout, yeah, he, he decided to stick with the Angels, but, you know, already in that group, they sold him on they were going to get better, and they clearly – continue to not get the memo that pitching is important unless they thought that Matt Harvey and Julio Tehran and, and, and Trevor Cahill were going to be the answer. Right. So now he's yeah. kind of stuck there for DeGrom. And I want to talk about the free agents to be, let's start with Jake. If I had to give you, and I, and I, I do these in jest because I used to love, and, and, you know, I don't look, I don't know Chris Broussard well, but I always laughed at the LeBron has a 78.7% chance to rejoin the, the, to join the heat. It's like, yeah. really like, where'd you come up with that? Honestly, a protractor. Right, right, like, what does that mean? Right, right, right. So now making fun of that and making you do it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Would you put the, would you put, I'll ask it this way. Gut feel. Would you put DeGrom coming back north of 50? 
percent and how far yes. like considerably north of 50 you feel very good about it i wouldn't say considerably north 62.2 percent no i i, I was uh, <laughs> <laughs> no i i think it's better than 50 50. yeah I, you know how much more i you know i don't know at this point i think it's sometimes hard to sort through the negotiation aspect of it right so there has to be in any type of you're trying to get you know as much money and whatever you think you deserve um it, you know that's part of this you know so sorting out the fact that you know he's he's a florida kid and you know doesn't care that much to be um uh talking to the media all that much which he wouldn't be the first new york <laughs> uh, athlete right. to be that way um, so it's not that unusual, but, um, yeah, I, he still loves New York and he loves the fan base. And I really think this is about negotiation and, you know, p- uh, pitching, staying healthy and getting more money, uh, on an AAV, uh, uh, you know, level, um, it can measure it to the way you, you, uh, the way you view him in the sport as a pitcher, I think, I, you know, was it Canna called him an, al- uh, Mark Canna called him an alien. Like he is, he is incredible when he's healthy. He's the best pitcher. Uh, I don't even think there's a question in the sport. The whole issue and the whole trick part of this is, you know, what kind of health is he going to have over the next couple of years? I don't know. That you can flip a coin and be more accurate. You know, that's more fifty-fifty. I don't. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think anybody knows. I don't think he knows. But I think that um, I think this is all big part of the negotiation for me. And I, I would be. At this point, as you hear more and more about it, I would be surprised, um, at, you know, at, at the end of the day. When you look at the pitching staff, I, look, I, I really like Taiwan Walker. I like his story. I don't think people give enough credit, and I know we're going back over regime, but the fact that the Mets got him and nobody else got him, and, like, he was getting down to, like, a two-year, $20 million deal, whatever it was, off that short and like, I can't even believe that, right? Coming off what he did in Seattle yeah, yeah. because – there were so many bad contracts that were given out for pitchers at that time, going back two, three years ago, as much as I love Taiwan Walker, do you see it as he's probably gone and, and how much more so, and I know he pitches tonight, every time Bassett pitches, do you think the Mets look at him and you think about the relationship with Scherzer and everything else, look at him and say, we got to have this guy for the next handful of years, like start looking at him as, as, one of the mainstay core people they want in that room for that build you start talking about to now perennial try and be a contender. Yeah, well, I think you're right on. You know, listen, they're going to have to sort out who wants to stay and who doesn't. And I think Walker would like to stay. I think, you know, somewhere along the line, they can't have they can't have everybody back. And if you're going to manage the payroll, and I know Steve Cohen's talked about, you know, not being trying to spend three hundred million. It's hard to to like it's, you're going to get the three hundred million pretty quick. Uh, DeGrom, and if you try to keep Nimmo and you keep one or two of your, those starters, and I think for me, Bassett, you hit on the guy that I think is is the underrated guy in the staff is Bassett because everyone talks about the top two guys, and but Bassett, to me, what he does on, you know, without the, 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 the strikeout stuff, he still strikes you out, like, it, you know, and, and his ability to pitch and use all of his pitches and throw them all for strikes and go deep in the game, like he, so I think a guy, you know, I did a uh, something for SNY in earlier in the year in May when I made a comparison. What would it take to keep him in a Mets uniform? And I thought at the time, based off of last year's uh, signings, Marcus Stroman was a three-year deal for seventy-one. Discafani was three at thirty-six, and I thought he'd be in the middle of those two, closer to Stroman, but in the middle of those two guys at that point to keep him. 
Well, now it's, yeah. it's probably doubled. And, yeah, and yeah. it might, you know, it's probably closer to 90 million. It's beyond Stroman. And now you look at, you know, Gosman, what he signed for last year, five years, 114. Ray, five years, 114. And they were two years younger. So maybe you give them four years, but it's the AV is going to be close. It could be 90 or more million, you know. So, but I think that that he has, to your point, getting back to the culture thing, he is a huge part of the culture. You see, you know, Buck trusts him. Buck loves to talk to him. Scherzer loves him, which tells you something. Like, if Max loves him, it's like Max is is asking him quite like, right? Like, that tells you enough. And the thing, too, Duke, is that we always say we overuse this, like, goes to the post, but. Innings pitched, yeah. um, it is it is still the most important thing when you get past your ace in your rotation because you have to have that guy that's going to rest the bullpen on days and weekends where they weren't. And this guy just finds a way to get through innings. He wants to complete every game. That's his mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Nimmo. Uh, you and I both uh, like, know, and have a good relationship with Scott. Um, he also has a good relationship with getting money for players. And... And, you know, for me, for Brandon Nimmo, it's like, okay, like what's not to love about his attitude, everything, the the center field play has gotten so much better. I know he stole a base yesterday, but that in this game, I think it may increase for him just because of the changes we just made in the game. Right. So he'll along with it. Um, But he's, he's become an, an electric and confident and really reliable player. How tough is this going to be? I know he loves it. But he's a Wyoming kid. I don't know for him, and I don't know well enough personally, like how much the West Coast means to him. But he's a guy who, with his smile and his charisma, could be a bigger star somewhere and go be in LA and go. I mean, is 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 he worrisome in terms of there are going to be a lot of suitors for him for the Mets? I think there's going to be a. I think it's going to be a lot of suitors. I think he's an analytics darling. So so all those teams who who pay attention or put analytics at a premium and put a, a, a premium on seeing a lot of pitches and understanding the strike zone, all of that thing, all of that, um, I think are, you know, Brandon's on their, on their radar, you know, and his, his metrics defensively have gotten better. I, I think he's definitely improved because, you know, he, I and mean, he's running better than we've ever seen him as a Met. But I also think they're playing them 15 feet deeper too, so that yeah. also makes they the metrics smarter. look better, right? That's right. So that's right. Um, they got smarter about it. He got smarter about it. So you know, I think that 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 part of it, um, he's he's going to score high. I, I think what concerns me is once you get out in the free agent market, Scott does his magic. Um, the price tag is going to get pretty steep pretty quickly, and and that might push him um, to to another club. I think he has a preference to stay in New York and. To me, it's always about, okay, does Brandon tell Scott Boris, hey, listen, do the best you can, but I still want to sign back with the Mets like he saw with Freddie. He Green. might. He seems yeah, like the type of guy go. who may do that, Duke, right? I mean, he's he the might. kind of guy who may exactly. do that. Um, and for people who think like Scott then turns back and says, well, no, screw you. That's not what happened because you go back to the Harper deal, which is the example I always give, where he, he had on the table, you know, 50 million or whatever it was a year from L.A. for three, four years and then go back out on the market. And here's Bryce telling him, no, I want to sign a 13 million, million dollar deal for less money. And that's not what Scott wanted to do, but that's what Bryce wanted right, exactly. to do. Right. Um, that's exactly when you right. look at the rest of this season, is it fair to say prioritizing everything that can go right, go wrong, that that number one right now is the concern with Marte um, because yeah, he is so important. The balance in the lineup, Duke, everything that he does for that team. 
And for me, he he deepens your bench when he's in there because then you could play with the Naquins and the Ruffs and some of these guys and maybe find the right spots to use them. Can the Mets make a run if Marte is not fully healthy? How much is it is it almost a must for them that they have the good version of a healthy Marte to have a chance here in October? I you know what I think because of his importance at the top of the lineup, I think it's difficult, not impossible. Uh, to make a deep run, but it's difficult to do that. You know, I, I if they were getting more production um, out of their DH spot, um, which they haven't so far, then say, okay, we they might be able to get by with Marte. Or if, if Escobar continues to swing the bat the way he has, and it looks like Canna, you know, with some of his adjustments mechanically, he's starting to swing the bat better. Like, they need one more guy of the group of Naquin, Vogelbach, Ruff, Vientos, <laughs> that group there, or more production out of the catching, which you you know hasn't been great all year. They need one more guy out of that out of that group um, to to make sure that, that the lineup is deep enough. If without Marte, they don't stack up offensively with the Dodgers or the Braves, and even with Marte, they might be a tick behind him, but they're they're much much closer, obviously, with him there. So. Uh, it, that's an important guy, and if, you know, for me, it's it's more of a. I'm glad they put him on the injury list because it seemed like for me that that thing was lingering way more longer than it's, than um, you want, and I think that by doing that, and by doing what they did with Scherzer, that you you have a better um, chance of them both being healthy when you want them to be. Uh, last one, and kind of like a two parter here, but I I think. And if you see it differently, let me know because you're closer to it than I am. But I, the way I saw it, and people were crazy with Beatty, and then you know they wanted Vientos. You could hear it, and you see it in the way the pitchers talk about him. The pitchers on that mound want Guillerme in the infield. Okay, they want him in the infield, and Buck loves him and wants him in the infield. And by the way, I'm all into all of that. So because of that, I ask you: with the way Escobar is hitting, is there a scenario now? where we see Guillerme at third or Guillerme, let's say Guillerme at second, Escobar at third and McNeil in left. And you try and shift Canada, right? Because when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking to myself, the fact that Jeff McNeil has been great at second, but you can't take Escobar out of the lineup right now. Right? So you're not going to put Guillerme at third and Escobar's not a bad defender. So I think you could use him at DH if you wanted, I guess, and then put Guillerme at third base. But do you think Guillerme is going to change things up now where we maybe see a situation if Escobar keeps hitting this way, where until Marte gets back, maybe McNeil goes in the left, and would they try Canna in right to get both of their their bats in the lineup? You know, I, I think that that's a very good um, solution to the to the issue. I think that's a good it's a good problem to have because Guillerme has been – like if, you go back in time at the beginning of the year, and now we're talking about how important Guillermo is. You're going, what? Who? Right. Who? What? Luis is as a backup, right? He he may go into Triple A, like, but but he has been so valuable that yeah, he's you know he could be that guy as you mentioned, and and because McNeil played well in left field, you feel comfortable of, of that shift, like you said. Uh, there's also that DH spot that you could put Guillermo at third. Um, you know, as a possibility, and keep McNeil at second. Um, but I DH Escobar, think, are you DH Escobar, Escobar the way he's hitting? Yeah, but the way he's swinging the bat. Yeah, and and especially because you know you're not getting production out of that position. 
um, you know, maybe a way, a solution, you know, to, to get a little bit more uh, productivity out of that spot. Or it could be just that, hey, you know what, we're getting here towards the end of September. Let's give uh, guys a blow here because we saw, you know, Lindor plays every day, Alonzo plays every day. Some of these guys get them off their feet for a day or two and Guillaume becomes that guy that, you know, that rotates around a couple of different positions and you still get McNeil in the outfield on occasion. So there's a lot of different ways for them to do it. Um, uh, I wouldn't be surprised though. Garamay's played well enough and Buck's love for him is, is high that he's going to get, he's going to get playing time. It's just a matter of, is it going to be every day at one position or in that rotation? If Vogelbach and Olerud lined up to, to run the 40, who wins? <laughs> Some of the slowest men in the game. <laughs> I think would still beat Vogelbach in a foot race. I don't know. You know Olerud we was Johnny Pujols, was slow. Johnny was really slow. Pujols is hit into like some of the. I think he's hit into the most double plays in, you know, of all active players. Miggy's second. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a bunch. Of, but I think if Vogelbach had enough at the bats, even from the left side, he would be the leader by far. He, he's he's America's Met man. I just I love it. Uh, Duke, appreciate you, man. Thanks for the time today. Always, Case. All right, good to see you. All right, stay up with Duke on SMY and Power Alley, of course, uh, all week long at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time on uh, MLB Network Radio. Join the Unfiltered Revolution at Casey Stern. If you're on Twitter, get in the bio and hop on the YouTube channel as well. We'll see you next time for Episode 63. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.